welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Lisa Ireland is an Australian author and writing mentor with seven published novels across various genres. A passionate community builder, Lisa enjoys supporting organizations that advocate for human rights and the arts, twin passions she explores in her latest novel, The One and Only Dolly Jamison. After working for many years as a teacher and a brief stint as a professional organizer before Marie Kondo made it cool, Lisa Ireland is now a full-time writer. Lisa lives with her husband in a small town in Gippsland, Victoria. When not writing, she spends her time mentoring aspiring authors, drinking coffee, and playing minion to her incredibly spoiled dog, Lulu. The one and only Dolly Jamison is Lisa's seventh novel, following her most recently, The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan. Lisa, I have been watching you, <laughs> not in a stalkery way. <laughs> But I've been watching you just lately because, of course, you're on the promotional tour yeah. for your latest novel, which is the seventh. Am I right in saying that? The seventh novel you've got. So people have heard your bio. They will have heard you on the podcast before. I just want to jump into it and we might take a meandering sort of <laughs> route. But I'm totally fascinated by where you are in the process now. And I'm not sure I've talked to any of the writers yet specifically about what it's like to be in the thick of things. Like your book came out and now you're doing all these promos. So can you tell me a little bit about that and what that shift is like from going to, from writing and probably what got you into writing was the, a love of writing to now promos and doing interviews and all that stuff. What's what's that been like and what, what are you feeling today? It's great because I did my first event last night or this particular book, even though it came out a couple of weeks ago, because where we are in Australia, it's school holidays, or it was, it was school yeah. holidays until this week. And everyone was relaxed and off at the beach. And so my publicist and my publisher and I decided that we would hold off on events until the beginning of February when school goes back and everyone goes back to their normal routine and people are ready to go, okay, what can I do now? Where you know, <laughs> let's go out for let's go out for a celebratory drink or whatever, kids are back at school. So even though the book came out two weeks ago, it's kind of felt a little bit like being in limbo because I was yeah. doing lots of stuff on social media, podcasts and radio interviews and that sort of stuff, but I wasn't actually going out and meeting readers. So today's a good day to chat because I'm on a really big high after having had that first event and getting some interaction with readers. So that's been Yay. fantastic touched on something that's interesting for most writers is that a lot of us are introverts mm -hmm. so a lot of writers I'm actually not <laughs> I'm gonna I was gonna say up. if you're on a high I mean any even yeah. an introvert could be on a high but it would be balanced with like yeah. the low of getting their energy back so yes. if you're on a high after an event I think you're either ambivert or definitely extrovert I definitely identify as ambivert. I'm probably on the extroverted end, but I do like my alone time as well. But it's so, but 
you know, what I was going to say is that it's really interesting that we are thrust into this world where we have to all of a sudden be public personas. Mm -hmm. And whilst it's really great to go out and meet readers, for a lot of writers, that's actually really difficult to actually have to not just write the book, but then stand up in front of a whole heap of people and be articulate about it. It can actually be quite frightening for a lot of uh, raising my, my hands <laughs> sorry public speaking despite yeah. this podcast and other things I do is not my favorite thing yeah it can be really scary and so I like to always do it with a friend if I can that's yes. what so that's a tip for if you're a beginning writer, if you're just if you're just sort of about to launch your first book, I always find it's easier to do the in conversations rather than a straight off the talk. But as I said, like I come from a teaching background anyway, so I'm used to standing up in front of in front of lots of people and talking. So, and public speaking is actually not something that's particularly difficult for me. I'm not saying I'm a superstar at it, but I'm not frightened. <laughs> you're great. You are great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so last night I had my lovely friend. Jane Cockrum, who's another Australian author. She has two books out and writing the third now. So so she came from Melbourne and we went out, uh, we went up to Bensdale and and had that event. But it's, it's, it's quite intense. Like, I don't think I understood before I was published how intense this promotional period is. It it probably Mm -hmm. goes for around about six weeks and you have to be on a lot. You have to be up and peppy and ready to talk about the book. And I I love doing podcasts. It's great because we can edit it out. (laughs) (laughs) I find live radio really scary because I'm, I'm always worried that I'm going to stutter or that my mind will just go blank uh, when the question is asked. So so far I've done okay, but I'm, I'm a, I'll admit to being a little bit scared of rap. Interesting. Of yeah. Interesting. I mean, I guess it does make sense when you think about it because it's live air, right? Yes. And we're so used to, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, but somebody had said to me, hey, why worry about editing much? People are happy to hear conversation. You think you are, but in fact... <laughs> We don't want a lot of dead air or silence between. And so you're right that just that extra added pressure of I better come up with my answers really quick and be pithy and great to sell books. Like that's, that feels like a lot of pressure. You feel as if you're there, you're wanting to sell your books, but you're also performing a service for the person who's invited you onto their show. to be entertaining they have yeah and if if you want to be invited back anytime you need to perform well so there is a little bit of pressure but I you know I love I I actually love talking about books it sounds weird to say I love talking about myself because that's what I'm saying if I'm talking about (laughs) not not just that yours and other books no I get it I bet so that is that's a little bit that is always a little bit tricky because I do find that a little bit you know you are often asked to talk about yourself and I think this maybe is a culturally Australian thing too we are not people that like to talk ourselves up so I find that a little bit tricky like you're trying to sell the book for the book's sake but you don't want to be saying like I'm not certainly not someone who would go oh this is the greatest book ever written or whatever and you know that's that's quite uncomfortable so I I don't find the public speaking uncomfortable I don't mind going out and meeting readers or talking but I do find 
the actual promotion of the book, of having to say, hey, read my book. My book's great. I find that a little bit uncomfortable. That's so. so interesting. It actually leads me, a couple of things occurred to me as you were talking. And one is even knowing you're a bit further on the ambivert scale toward extroversion, is there anything you do to help yourself feel good throughout? So because even over six weeks, it, it feels very intense. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about what happens after the six weeks. But is there anything that you do to keep your energy up? Because you'd said you're expected to go in and be very peppy. What do you do to keep yourself, this sounds so naff, but high vibe, right? I think some of the energy comes from the presenters. Generally, mm. you're talking to people who are excited to have you on their show. Otherwise, they wouldn't have invited yeah. you. <laughs> or, you know, you're at an event where readers are excited to meet you. And that is lovely. And yeah. so you, you're getting your energy from other people, or that's certainly how I am. But I, right back at the start, I said to you, I like to do it with friends. I like to do events with friends. And I really use it as a good networking opportunity. So if I'm going to a city where I know there's another author that I might have connected with online, I will either try and work out a way for that person to have a role to play in yeah. my event or just catch up with them for a coffee. And, and that's something to look forward to. So it, it, and it gets you talking about books and being around other people who are in the same situation as you. So I'm always keen to catch up with other authors, particularly ones that I've had a connection with online. I love that because that's sort of a workaround. You know, I'll talk a lot with the writers that I mentor about the mindset shift. And it's the conscious mind that gets us into trouble sometimes, like I have to perform or whatever. And what you're talking about is a way to just sort of get yourself around it. You're doing the thing you need to do and you want to do, which is promote your book, but you're finding a way to get yourself there in a way that feels more natural, like speaking with a friend who's in the writerly world and or just catching up for coffee and before an event, getting yourself into that space where you're doing the talking. So it doesn't feel so much like I'm going in and, you know, laying out my Tupperware and selling yes. it. <laughs> like, and, and you're right in Australia, especially even when we're promoting, it is this fine balance that probably adds more pressure, which is don't big note yourself. Yes. Sure. Exactly. You've got a book out. And people are saying it's good, but you can't say it's good. And so along those lines, you'd also said that that can add that pressure. I'm really curious, and especially with radio interviews, with your publicist. So for those authors who are lucky to get a publicist, <laughs> Scott Time, do they help you come up with things? Like, do you prep little, what am I going to call them? Sound bites or things that you can sort of have to hand. Do you practice certain things or have topics? What do you do? For all of not, that. not really. I think I've been doing this, so I haven't for this campaign, although yeah. we do have a big meeting at the beginning, like way before the book comes out, you meet up with your publicist either online or in person if you're lucky enough to live in a capital city <laughs> where your publicist is, <laughs> and often with the marketing person too because marketing is a whole different thing. But we fill in a lot of forms for the publicist. They ask us loads of questions and they're great at finding opportunities for us. So, and they're quite random things. Like they'll ask you, you know, all sorts of interesting things about your life or, well, they might not be interesting, but there's the potential to be yes. 
to be interesting or they'll find an angle. So they'll ask you things about the book, you know, the inspiration for the book and all those sort of regular things, but also stuff about your family and your friendships and your hobbies and all sorts of interesting things like that so that they can then go, well, this person is, I don't know, maybe there's a knitting thing in the book and this this person is a really great knitter and, you know, she comes from a long line of people who spin their own wool or whatever. And so (laughs) then they'll find an angle somewhere to promote that book. So, So you talk through lots of stuff like that for them to find the places to pitch your novel because it's a really competitive market. Like I I came out, this book came out on the 10th of January and it's an odd month to come out because there's another release date at the end of February. So sort of like two weeks of clear air and then the next batch of books come out. Usually it's a month between uh, books, but publishers stagger, different publishers stagger the release dates as well. So you're always in the market competing with um, other books, which is kind of weird because often they're written by your friends. So. That's what that, well, we've not gone there, but we will have to have a whole episode about that. Yeah, no, I can't think about it that way. Those people are my friends. I want their books to do just as well as mine. Yeah. I, you have to look at your book and the opportunities for your book. That's my opinion. I don't worry about what other people are doing. I just worry about what what I'm doing with my book. So yes, we have the meeting and we talk about things like that. And then I think with newer authors, they could certainly run through with their publicist. I think it's sort of more led by the author rather than by the publicist. So if you were concerned about what, what might they ask me, you can certainly talk to your publicist and your publisher as well, yeah. and they will help you with those things. But I've done this a few times now, so I'm reasonably confident about getting out there and answering the questions. I still get nervous, yeah. but I kind of know. The tricky thing is sometimes with live radio, people, particularly when the book is brand new, the if it's a short interview, the announcer might not have read your book. Right. And so they're going on like the back cover blurb and sometimes interviews can sort of go a little bit skew with and you're 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 trying to bring it back to like they'll have a, perhaps an incorrect assumption about what the book is about yes. and you're sort of having to go back and say oh yes that that is an issue and and in my book actually this <laughs> so it's, like, it's like being a politician answer the question that you want them to ask rather than yes. the question they actually have, have asked but another little thing on that that can be tricky which I didn't expect at all until it happened to me was that if you write a book about an issue and let's face it, all books are issues based. So if you write a book about a particular issue, you're going to be expected to be an expert on that issue, even if it's, so for instance, sorry, I've I've gone a bit. No, I like it. But I wrote a book called The Art of Friendship and it was about ghosting in friendship. So, and it's like, I wouldn't have thought that that would be particularly as an issue. It's not a particularly controversial or interesting thing. Mm. It was just the basis of the book and it's a completely fictitious book. But I was asked so many questions Questions about why I think this happens and the psychology <laughs> of friendship. And I had to keep saying things like, and in your research for your book, and of course I had researched the book, but it was it was really just 
a lovely piece of fiction about two women who'd had a lifelong friendship and then the friendship starts to fall apart. I think all of us have experienced that. So it's not something, it's not like in the latest book where the book's about homelessness. And so I did a lot of intense research about that. But this particular thing, and I was thinking, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. academic references to draw on here I just can give you my opinion so that is something to watch out for that people are going to assume if you've written a book that has any whatever the theme is or sometimes it's a random tiny little thing that they'll pick up off the book and then you're on radio being asked you know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, and I guess that's maybe one of the things that I think to your point about meeting with the publicist or marketer, having those external eyes, because I know lots of writers who you've written the entire story and you're, you're in it when you're writing it. And so some of the things that come out are just the natural follow-on from a particular character or whatever. And you are so connected that you didn't intend it. It wasn't something that you sort of were like, I'm mindful, I'm going to put this in. It was just a characteristic maybe that popped out. And then somebody else reads it and says, wow, it's, I mean, it's a compliment to say, wow, the way you did that was so great. And you're thinking, I mean, that is cool, but I wasn't manipulating it. <laughs> it wasn't. So I find that really uh, just an interesting thing not to, again, add it as pressure, but just to give that insight to a writer that if you have outside eyes that might say, oh, here were the themes that I noticed, because they may be a thing that you thought, oh, it's a throwaway comment or just a by happenstance, it wasn't symbolic of anything. It's sort of like, I guess, looking at artwork, right? Sure. And, and critiquing it and saying, this is what I think it means. Absolutely. But you're right about having outside eyes and just being aware that it's like now I know that it might happen, that I might be expected to be an expert. I'll do a bit of extra prep, but the, but I don't ever make up stuff. Like I don't ever pretend to be an expert about yeah. things that I have. If I have not done the research, I'm not, because that's a really easy way to get yourself in trouble. Yes. <laughs> pretend to know something that you don't. So my, and you don't have to be an expert. My answer to that would be, well, my primary function in this book was to entertain people. And I I did do this research and this is what I found out, but I'm sure, you know, there's a wealth of things that I don't know that are still untapped and I'm very interested in the subject and I'd love to read more about it. But at this point, you know, so so you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to pretend to be one. You just, you've written a book and that's what you're there to talk about. Yeah. Well, and it's easy. We're talking about fiction, but it's really good. Well, you said too with, and let's just mention the title of your newest, novel is the one and only Dolly Jamison. Is that right? And so you'd mentioned, so that's that main character. And is she the one who's gone through homelessness? The concept is really fascinating to me, both from an entertainment level, but also because I like my books to have depth and we're thinking about serious cultural or social things and and sort of sidelining people. So can you tell us just a little bit about how you came up with that concept and then why did you decide to dive in? Like it could have just been a a throwaway, but it's a real central thing that you say you've done some research on it. The whole book was based on an interaction that I had with a homeless person. So I was in the UK 
And the book is set mainly in London. The It's two timelines. So there's a modern day timeline that I wrote the book in 2019. So the, the book is set in 2019. But there's a whole other timeline which starts in the 1940s and goes right through to the end of the 1960s. And same character. So it's, it's you know, just it's one character, two timelines. And she, at the beginning of the book, you, you meet her and she's she's homeless and then we we delve into how that happened. So but I met this woman. I'd been in the UK on holidays. It was winter. It was really, really cold. And I'd noticed more than usual amount of or more homeless people than I had ever noticed before. And not just in London, because we were traveling. You you always see lots of homeless people in London, but in everywhere. And it was so cold and I was taking particular notice. And this one night I was outside like a mini mart while my husband and son went inside to get something and there was a woman sitting there and she asked me for change I didn't have any change uh, because I was traveling but my husband had money I said oh when he comes back I'll have something then but she was reading she was sitting under the like the lights of the the, you know shop warning yeah reading a Beth O'Leary book and which I'd read was the I think it was the flat share and I said to her just because we were both standing there, I was standing there and she was sitting there and I said, oh, you know, I've read that. How are you enjoying the book? I read it and we started to have a conversation about the book. And then when my husband came back, he, we gave her the money and she thanked us. And I said, oh, you know, it's nothing, not, not a, not a trouble. And she said, no, 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 not thank you for the money. That's lovely too, but thank you for talking to me. And she said, nobody makes eye contact with me ever. She said, and that's the thing that I miss the most is the most in my situation is having normal intellectual conversations with people that aren't just about my situation. And it made me really think because she was clearly articulate and educated. I'd had a really long conversation with her. So I could see that and it made me wonder how someone like that ends up in her situation and it really challenged a lot of my ideas I think about homelessness and anyway so that and it and it upset me and it made me think and I have ever since now whenever I see anyone who's homeless I make sure that even if I haven't got money which often these days I don't because you know we just carry our card around yeah but the very least thing that you can do for someone is humanize them by, you know, treating them for who they are, which is a human being, you know, making eye contact and smiling or speaking or whatnot. So that kind of challenged my ideas about homelessness. But then, you know, I went on with my holiday, I came home. And then a few months later, there was in the weekend magazine of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, that I think was in, yeah, the Good Weekend, was an article by a journalist called Sharon Bradley. And it was about middle-aged women, middle-aged and older women who are now the largest growing demographic of homeless people. And it was a really fascinating article because it outlined cases of middle, ordinary middle-class women who had lived lives just like mine, who had found themselves in this vulnerable position once they they were older. And it's for many reasons, but yeah. often people, as we know, there's the gender pay gap. Women don't necessarily have the same amount of superannuation as men do. 
or they may have given up work to look after children for many, many reasons. And then if something happens to their partner and they don't have superannuation, so if you've been renting a house and your partner suddenly dies and then you don't have any backup, you can very quickly spiral into homelessness. So that was the jumping off point for my research and for my interest in writing the book. I just wanted to... was thinking to myself, what if that happened to me or my aunt or, you know, how could it have happened and, you know, and what would we do? And one of the other things that came out of the research, which I had no idea about, but a lot of the systems that we have in place now are really discriminatory towards people who are older. So if you did Mm. not grow up in the digital technological age and you are not savvy, for instance, you know, accessing your data via the internet, it can be almost impossible to get help because all the services that are designed to help people who who are vulnerable and who need welfare access are all online and nobody yeah. wants to talk to you and you're pushed away and told go home and, you know. Fill that out. And- yeah. Yeah. And- give up and they feel ashamed it's not so much that there aren't people if you take services to task on this they'll say oh you know you can always ring up or you can come in (laughs) by the way when you call again being ready to be on hold for ungodly amounts of time as well yeah People are shamed by their situation. They feel Mm. embarrassed that they're not able. And for many people, they're needing welfare for the very first time in their life and they're older and the system is really difficult to navigate. So apart from the fact that it's inadequate, but it's it's inadequate, but even to get the inadequate amount of help that is available is impossible for some people. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm telling you all these dark things, but Dolly is actually, uh, she was a star of musical theatre in her youth. And the book is a very, I hope, and readers have confirmed this, a very uplifting book. So it's not, uh, yes, we look at some dark themes in there, but she's not homeless for a very long time because it's fiction. And there's, uh, it's a really about an unlikely friendship and the power of female friendship. So she makes that. Uh, she meets another woman who's at the opposite end of the social spectrum, meets her in their local library, and then that friendship changes both their lives. So that's so it's quite that. a, you know, and she's a funny and optimistic and very sassy uh, character. So she's not she's not a victim. She's you know very much um, upbeat and always looking. She treats everything that happens to her as just uh, you know a bump in the road and just a challenge to be overcome. She's she's a very optimistic character. So I don't want listeners to think that's <laughs> just depressing. What a depressing. But like I'd said earlier too, and I found if there is a trend, I would simply say that the trend is that even when we are using some lighter themes or some story vehicles, we want the shadow part too. And it's not to say wholesale. There are plenty of books out there that just do the thing that they always do, like especially in romance here here are the tropes and we're going to use them. But what I've found, especially talking to publishers as well, is they want that extra depth and nuance. And so, in fact, it's through a story like you're talking about that will probably open the eyes of other people who may have stayed, you know, blinkered and they don't want to look at it, but it's 
through a character like Dolly that maybe they say, wow, this is something I'd like to change without feeling so overwhelmed by the heaviness of it, right? We need both. And that's what we long for because that helps us connect. That's real life light and dark, right? Sure. And I had a reader actually contact me this week, two different readers, two different stories. But one was a reader who said to me, I have never thought about homelessness like this before. And you've completely changed my mind. And that, if that's the only thing that ever comes out of this book, I, I feel really uplifted by that. You know, like because to reach one just one person and and one person to have that same sort of epiphany that I had, which was, oh my goodness, I need to open my eyes to this situation and think about this differently. So there was that. But I also, and this just completely blew me away, had a reader contact me this week who said to me, thank you for shining a light on this situation. I could have been Dolly. I am Dolly. I." She was not living on the streets because, and this is another thing of the shadow homelessness among old women, that there's a lot of hidden homelessness of people who have insecure housing. So they are yeah. slip friends, guest rooms or, in, or whatever, but they don't have a place to call their own and they're having to sort of couch surf. Um, and so she said that was what had happened to her and that exactly the situation that I had described of someone of means who'd always lived very ordinary middle-class type of life and then a situation changed and she ended up finding herself without housing. So again, that really not uplifted me that she had been in that situation and she's in a great situation now, but I was pleased that the book resonated with her and that she felt, so I feel like then I have done my research properly who has been in the situation wasn't writing to say, well, you got this bit wrong or, or she was like, yeah. it really resonated with me. And I'm really happy to hear people out in the community talking about this because it's, it's you know, been swept under the carpet for far too long. Yeah. Wow. Well, and like you said too, knowing that you're connecting two, as you'd said, totally different stories, but creating that connection with a reader to help them shift. So with the first one, it's shift the way that she'd always assumed it was, what homelessness was, as if it's a singular thing. But the other, that validation of just being seen, which is really the jumping off point, right? For the entire story. This woman that you saw in the UK saying thank you for seeing me and treating me with this modicum of respect, like I'm here. Yeah. And it's just such a heartbreaking thing. In fact, both this book and my last book has have had similar themes, not intentionally, okay. as you yeah. say. I mean, it, it was interesting you say, talking to writers, how, you know, at the end of it, we'll say, oh, I didn't kind of mean that. But when I'm talking to aspiring authors, I'm always talking about writing is actually rewriting. So when yeah. we draft, we're just telling ourselves the story. And then the real work of unearthing what that story is and what the characters are trying to tell you and what the themes of the book actually are come in the second and third and fourth and fifth. Yeah. And yeah. But that that's where that that work is done. I've I've lost my train of thought, Anjanette. I can't remember. Well, you were just, yeah, and I don't know either. Other than to say that what you were finding is a pattern unintentionally between the theme or oh. sort of that underlying what I call like a story message. What I was going to say it was the theme of invisibility mm. of 
women as they age. So that is something that, because I'm quite interested in that, like in just in terms of, I guess, as I'm aging myself and my friends around me are all aging and you start to realise that your value, once you hit menopause and you are into that next stage of life, even maybe a little bit before that. Oh, yeah. During that peri period. Yeah, it just starts to go. But but people, I think society as, you know, in general, as a whole, treats women as if we exist to be somebody's mom or somebody's uh, somebody's wife or somebody's partner we're not we're never treated I I guess uh representations I'm talking about here representations in in fiction or whether that be in film or uh, on the page we're often treated as that's that's our main role and I want to create fiction where the main characters are past their childbearing years and they're not on the page to be someone's mom or someone's partner or whatever they are and they are mothers and they are sometimes grandmothers or whoever and that is an important part of their life but they are themselves and being seen for themselves so that's been my my recent interest I was gonna say it's quite an aha and giving yourself permission so I often say that whether you're writing or reading, it's always interesting if you've read multiple books by the same author, because you can probably tell what is important to them. And they will rewrite in, in numerous ways a, a similar conflict and resolution with a similar message at the end, right? Without the end being the same at all but you will know what do they value, right? And that's, but what's great is saying, you don't have to overthink it. You can simply be responding to what you notice in the world and what you'd like to shine a light on. And then like, I'm prone to liking hopeful endings. I will just raise my hand and say that I want to see growth and transformation and hope, even in dealing with those serious things. But so I think this leads us nicely into the last thing I'll ask for today's chat anyway, which is you're deep in promotion. Before you got to promotion, did you start a new project? Do you think you're going to be writing another one that uh, that inadvertently <laughs> looks at um, this just sort of parent societal invisibility that women are experiencing in a, in a different way? I guess this is, it's, I've just finished to, to, there you go. Uh, to, to, yeah, I, I finished the manuscript yesterday. So, oh my goodness. And Yay. And <laughs> first event for the, for the last book last night. So, which was intentional. Like I'd given myself that, that deadline. Yeah. So the next book is a similar idea or a similar structure, I guess, as the last two books in that it has the dual timeline, except it's two historical timelines this time. And, and I, I really, <laughs> I'm really choking telling you this because the second historical timeline is in, is 1999. And I can't believe that 19. 19- no, yeah, we're not going to say it's like, that's just a few years ago. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I can't face it. 20 years ago was the 80s to me. And that will always be that way. 
until I die. 20 years ago was the 1980s. Exactly. So so the first timeline is in the 1950s and the second timeline is in the is on it's a week, the last week of the millennium. So wow. it's yeah. 1999 between Christmas and New Year. Uh so that's that's one timeline and the other one is 3 years in the 1950s. But this time it's multiple points of view. So we've got four women. We get three of their points of view in one timeline and then just one point of view in the other timeline. Mm. So we are seeing them. They're not elderly women in, in the second timeline, but they are de- definitely middle-aged. They're in their 60s. And it's so it's a little bit about what happens, you, you know, our hopes and dreams when we're young and where we end up and how friendship, how female friendship plays into that. And that's really probably the central thing, no matter what I write about in all of my women's fiction. I I started out, I wrote three romances, but once I've sort of changed genres and moved into the more general fiction genre, every single one of my books ends up being about the power of female friendship. So I I, love that. I don't mean that. I don't always mean to, when I'm thinking about ideas, is that's not you know I'm thinking right how can I showcase female friendship this time I'm never thinking that but that's what ends up happening yeah (laughs) well and again I guess this is why I like being sort of a detective if I were gonna call it anything which is to say you can tell what a good writer values based on these themes that come up and so much the better for you not to orchestrate it, but rather it flows out because those are the things that you value. And if you were pulling the, the puppet strings of the world, which any fiction writer is, there are certain things that are naturally going to come about because they are what is important to you and what you like to see, whether you live them all the time or not, if you could, you would. And so I love that. I mean, what a, again, one of the best things about writing fiction is to bring, like you did with Dolly and her as a character was totally fictionalized based on a real interaction in the world that got things spinning months before you ever sat down to write. So that when I go a little bit, it's not woo, it's it's a bit psychology and creativity, but all of that's happening in the background rather than you having to really white knuckle think it. <laughs> it's just sort of going on in there and then giving yourself permission to write it. It's so it's so funny because you just used the word woo and anyone who knows me knows that I'm this like super pragmatic, practical person. I believe strongly in science. If I'd not been a writer, one of my other choices in career, what I would love to be, would probably would never have been able to be, would to be a, a doctor. I'm super, I love the sciences. So I'm not particularly woo. I don't really believe in it in anything except in writing. And I totally bought <laughs> into it in creativity. Because things are just gifted to me sometimes. You know, yes. Character that appears on the page that you don't know and they're just a walk-on character that are not that you just call them Frank and stick them in there because and they're the guy that is somebody's date and then they end up having a pivotal role in the book so you know I I, I totally believe in that that magic of the the writing universe that it, it, it's a it's out there some it's out there somewhere and it's 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 really quite an odd thing it's at odds with who I am as a person but I believe it with all my as long as you surrender to it. Here's what I would say. You don't have to believe it as long as you allow it because it is what happens. And I guess that's why I always preface it by saying woo, even though I'm like you, 
I'm very science backed. And in fact, when it comes to spirituality, as it were, I don't believe there's a difference. I think spirit and science are one is supporting the other. But what I've observed working with writers tells me these things. It's not that I made them up or it's I heard one story and that's it. If you are a creative, you will find these things happen and you'll have these little mysterious things. And whether you spend a lot of time ruminating about it or not, you can't deny that they just happen, oh, right? I, I so you just go, okay, whatever. I don't know why, well, but it did. When it happens, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny because in the previous book, there was, there's a really pivotal character who is called Rita. I had to think of her name then because in the draft, she was called Lois. Yes. And there were quite a few L names. So we changed her to Rita in, in one of the final drafts, but I always want to call her Lois. But there's this really quite pivotal character and she's a midwife and she just, my one of my characters was giving birth and she was at the birth and she was just a walk-on character. She was not there for any other reason other than to assist the birth and she ended up being probably the the second biggest character in the novel. Like she was a really pivotal and she, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I sort of right away and then all of a sudden I went, oh, that's who you are. Oh, that's what you're there for. And it just, yeah, it just came from nowhere. So, yeah. Oh, I, I love you. that magic. And that's the fun. As you said, even in a rewrite, I think this real struggle, I won't always call it resistance, but the struggle because when we're setting up to write, we often get told, and I can see in the background, you've got post-it notes and everybody has a different, you know, some are complete pantsers and others are plotters and everything in between. And all of them are fine. However, there is that part where the, the magic for me as someone who walks along next to writers is seeing them go through that process and having that aha moment or that realization. You didn't have to work at it real hard in your brain. You started somewhere and you start walking. And if you start walking in that story, the characters who are meant to be there just end up <laughs> coming in. They walk on stage and you're like, oh, for your, you must be walking on stage just for this. And next minute, not only does she get a name change because too many L names, but she's a central character. But you never would have met her if you just used your conscious mind brain power to try to manipulate the world or orchestrate it in a certain way. You have to surrender to it. That is why when I'm talking to aspiring authors, I really try and encourage them to just get the first draft down without editing it too much yes. because there's always that desire, I think, to try and make it better and to go over and over and over it before it's finished. And I, you know, everyone's got their process and I'm really not a big fan of, of messing with other people's process. So if it's working for you, that's great. Yeah, true. <laughs> but a lot of the time when people are talking to me about it, their process isn't working for them. They, they haven't finished a draft. They can't get their book finished. And I will always say to them, just let go of it being perfect. It's such a simple piece of advice. Let, let go of it being perfect. Just get the idea down because it's not until that you get to the end that you know what the beginning should be. You know? yes. so, and then you can start refining and it might take you a few goes. Like this last book, I, I can never say exactly how many drafts there are because I don't like finish one draft right. and then start, you know, I, yeah. I've, I've got four physical separate drafts, but there's probably maybe seven or eight drafts because once 
once I got to that sort of second last draft, it becomes like a living document and I just keep going back to the start and going over and over it. So, yeah, so maybe seven or eight drafts and you wouldn't probably even really recognise what it start, what it was in the beginning. It was such a mess and nobody other than me would have even been able to make sense of it. It's you know, But I've now got a finished, you know, 100,000 word manuscript. Amazing. So, but again, yeah. it's that it's that even for those who are very pragmatic and you know you're you're preaching to the choir i say the same thing you don't want to spend all your time polishing those first 3 chapters if they end up going all together and you will not know until you finish the first time and then go back through and then potentially either self edit and or get a beta reader or even an alpha reader or somebody who's going to help support you to stay on path because sometimes we don't know <laughs> what the point is. Rather than keeping you from writing, I would say just race to the end. I don't even say don't make it perfect. Don't even make it good. No. Write badly from start to finish so you can get out because also you won't know maybe till the end, do you really love it? I, I don't know if you know Natasha Lester. I don't know her personally, but of course everyone in Australia has heard of Natasha who's in the writing world as a pantser. And when she says she pantses the first 20,000 before she even decides if she wants to write this story, which oh. is, which is one way to go because maybe you have to write the whole thing before you decide do I even and it, it is painful I would never wish this on anyone to get to the end of tens of thousands of words and say I don't even care I think you could do something with it but sometimes you don't know because I don't know with that first draft that you wrote when she was still Lois do you know how far in you were before she was even introduced you were uh, writing a different story it would have been different that story was completely pants because <laughs> I, I I write everyone I don't have my process changes according to the idea and according to where I'm at in my life Amazing. So it's not exactly the same each time so this book was the one that I've just written was a uh, so not Dolly but the one that I've just written now is was a lot more more planned because there were so many points of view. Yeah, I, true. I still didn't. I, I still didn't like do a really specific outline, but I had a bit more of I, an idea of what needed to happen when, rather than in both in Dolly and in Shirley, which is where Lois turns up. In Shirley, Lois is the key to a secret. Or Rita, she is now. Yeah. See, <laughs> we're doing it again. She is the key to a secret. So when I started the book I knew Shirley had a secret but I didn't know what it was yeah so I knew that there would be I knew where I was writing to and I knew what the end that I was writing towards but I wasn't sure what the secret was and I just had enough confidence to go well it'll come to me and you know I'll just write it I'll just start writing and something will come but also like Natasha I have several times in fact three or four times written even about 30,000 words is the turning point for me I've twice now in in recent years written 30,000 words and then thrown the book out. And that's a risk when you pants because sometimes the idea doesn't really have legs. It can be an okay kind of an idea and sometimes I'll think, you know, that's an okay kind of an idea. I'll I'll try it out. And then twice that's happened where I've got to 40, 30 or 40,000 words and I've gone, mm, it, it just doesn't really have the legs to go all the way to the end. I'm not as fired up about this as I That's should. That's it. That's and it. Because you have to. 
as per your, if it's four drafts, but really more like seven to eight drafts, if you're going to be spending that time rewriting it, you have to feel a little bit fired up (laughs) about it. And I live, it's really funny because today I finished the book and I went for a walk with my dog this morning and got my coffee as I always do. And on the way home, I was thinking, oh, I'm having a day off today. This is so great. You know, the book's gone and I've got this chat with Anjanette and then I don't have anything else on. And I started thinking about all the people that I need to call and that I need to, to, you know, email and touch base with because I've just let everything go for the last few weeks while I've been finishing the book. And I was thinking about catching up with a friend and I was I wanted to ask her some questions and then I started having this vague memory that she might have already answered these questions and she might have already told me these things and it's because I have been living in book world like completely Mm. immersed in my own characters my own world and honestly my friend could have told me she was moving to Mars and I probably have said on the phone oh yeah that's great you'll have a great time there but I've got no memory (laughs) because I've been in another world and now I'm back in the real world and I'll have to you know forgive me for being (laughs) I think they will I think they will. And it certainly, I mean, you've been on this road and be in sharing with so many readers and writers over these years. You've got a book club. I thought I might include these two in the show notes for people. If you're still doing book club, if you definitely your website, I'd love to hear a little bit about that just as we round out the interview. So you obviously, when you have time away from being fully in book world, (laughs) time where you mentor some authors too, and or a, a book club. So tell us. Yeah, I've about got a, a side business mentoring other authors, which happened during COVID. People, I just started this because I had been doing some like, and I, I still do, but I've, I've been on hiatus from it. I do this thing called Mentor Monday on Instagram. It's just a little sound bite. Like it's, it's, I'm very verbose, so it's about ten minutes. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> It's 10 minutes of chit-chat about writing and it's not terribly planned. Like I'm just talking about what's important to me in the writing world or an issue that might have cropped up with writers that I'm talking about or writers that I know and so I'll I'll do 10 minutes. Sometimes I might interview another writer. So that started and then I started getting people in my inbox saying, would you mentor me? You know, do you mentor people? Can I pay you to mentor me? And I was like, oh, no, I don't do that. And then I thought, well, why not? Like I'm a teacher. I love talking about writing. And so I now one-on-one mentor people. I'm God, I'm going to put a plug. Can I put a plug in for one of my mentors? Yes. One of my mentees, a beautiful, smart, intelligent woman called Karen Main has a new book coming out in March. Her book is called Lenny Marks Gets Away with Murder. I'm That's so exactly proud of her. Amazing. She is. I'm going to spruik her really big because she is the mum of newborn twins. She already has two other very small children and she's a Melbourne-based detective. And in her spare oh time, she's written a novel. Stop. So, yeah, because all the spare time you get yes, with that you setup, did. you just so, yes, sure. so I mentor other I mentor other writers just one on one. I don't have a lot of clients on my books all at once because I want to give people, you know, really special attention. And I can't do that if I've got heaps of yeah. people. So yeah. just, I, I have a few. But the I want to talk just quickly, if you don't mind, about wow. do um, the reading couch, which is my online book club. Oh, that yay. Is, 
Yeah, that also started out of COVID. I used to have a Facebook group with uh, two other authors, Sally Hepworth and Rachel Johns. We're friends. And during COVID, when we were all in lockdown and whatnot, not Rachel because she's in Perth, but Sally and I, (laughs) we started this. It was actually a little bit before that. We had a newsletter called The Secret Life of Authors, and then that evolved into a Facebook group. And we loved doing it, but over time we've kind of each of us had to give it up because it, it was supposed to save us time as authors, but we we ended up we ended up doing our own newsletters and doing the secret life of authors and it's ended up taking up too much time but what came out of that was this little read along group where we used to read a book a month and we would read it all together and so we you know check in every so i everyone would sign up for let's say we're doing i know emma gray scott she is our read-along book for, I'm gonna, I was going to say this month, but I think it's next month. Oh, my goodness. I cannot wait to hear what everybody thinks. Uh, everyone's going to love that book. I mean, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it. Yes, everyone will yeah. love the book. But So what we used to do was check in every few days and talk about the book. But then after we all came out of lockdown, that became, everyone was home. So everyone was looking for things mm. to do. But now that we're all out of lockdown, that model has become too onerous. So it's just morphed into a once-a-month book club where we all read the same book and then myself and another writing friend Renee Canulty we get on my couch and we Renee and I talk about the book and we have a group of other readers who come in and we uh, Renee and I ask some questions and everybody jumps in and says I liked this bitch and we have a a book discussion I love it those people are the nicest readers you will I've been doing it what for I think three years now and it's a Facebook group where I have there's never been an argument there's never been anyone speaking disrespectfully. They are the nicest people. So go I love the- it. Well, I'm going to keep that. That link will be in the show notes as well. So people can go check it out. They'll have to, to pass. We have a lot of fun. Super nice people who are very respectful. But I think just having collections. So it is nice to have a podcast like this where people can go and independently listen but there's a lot to be said and I belong to a book club as well. And I don't get to get as involved as I might like. I know it might surprise some people, but I don't talk in book clubs. I really don't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm quiet. I listen to the other people. Not to say I don't have, I didn't, maybe a type if, because it's always virtual. Uh, but there's so much to be said for both writing groups and reading group. If you are a writer, get yourself involved with a reading group. You can keep it separate from your writing, but just to sort of circle back to the beginning. Because I'm going to be hopeful for anyone who's listening to this podcast who aspires to be a writer and be traditionally or self-published and be on the publishing trail. When you get to that point of promoting your work in whatever ways you can, keeping yourself sort of in your own little book bubble and and a writerly bubble, which means feeding yourself that thing where you're talking to other people about the joy of both fiction and nonfiction. I, I read beautiful memoirs that I love, but it's about community and connection. And a lot of that is really the start of where people feel motivated to write because they want to reach out. And if you're an introvert, it's easier to reach out in story first by yourself, but give yourself the gift of reaching out to other people who understand the power and importance of that sort of community. I just think that book people are the best people, right? There you whether, go. <laughs> whether they're readers or whether they're writers, and all writers start as readers. Like we yes. all, every writer writes their book or writes their first book 
because they've been a voracious reader. They love books and they just want to be part of that themselves and have their own story out there. So there's there are a plenty of people who are interested in connecting with you. If you are an aspiring author, if you are getting started, don't be shy to reach out because you know, there's enough room for everybody. Like you don't, you don't need, and you don't need to think, oh, that person's published X amount of books. They're not going to be interested in me because I'm not published or because I've only written one manuscript and I don't really know anything yet. If you've written, it doesn't matter how many books you write, you still always feel like you don't know anything. <laughs> I still feel like <laughs> new book, still- <laughs> new sort of imposter syndrome. Papa. How did I do that before? Because I can't really remember how I wrote all those other books. Yeah. Absolutely. And we've been there. And so I, we know what it feels like to be that person on the outside. So I would absolutely say if you are an, an aspiring author, or if you've just started writing, don't be afraid to reach out to other writers. You'll be welcomed. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting today, Lisa. It has been an absolute pleasure. If you haven't yet picked up her newest book, The One and Only Dolly Jamison, and then we'll have a link to her website so you can check out her backlist as well. And I am positive I will be hitting you up to be on the podcast again. (laughs) So hopefully you will be happy to be here. Uh, But thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting to you, Anjanette. It's such fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.